Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms, read by Eniash Brodsky. A quick announcement for those of you reading my novel, What Lies Dreaming. It has been accepted to the Web Fiction Guide, meaning you can now vote for it for top web fiction once every week. If you are reading along, I would greatly appreciate it as it helps get the word out to more people. There is a link at the bottom of each chapter and also at the bottom of the front page. For those of you who aren't reading along, you can join at whatliesdreaming.com. New chapter up every Sunday. Now, back to the story. Episode 23 Heart turned body around. Maria Johnson, the black woman from the interview, stood beside us in the crowd. It was curious to see a familiar face in the new setting. She didn't seem at all disturbed, and it was clear to me that this was, in some part, her doing. Body's head tilted to the side. I had taught Hart the gesture a while back, but Hart had never really learned the subtlety of it. I had no mirror, but I imagined the girl avatar which we now puppeted wearing a blank, emotionless gaze as she stared awkwardly at the other woman. Miss Johnson was still wearing the simple business attire that she had on for the interview. Her dark curly hair was done up in a bun. I wondered if she could get hot in whatever VR interface she was plugged into. Her clothes were too heavy to be worn in this climate. What is going on? Asked Hart through the girl body avatar in uncomfortably flat English. Even though my sister theoretically understood that humans like to be speaking with something that didn't come across as a creepy doll, she lacked the motivation to put in the time and energy it took to learn the nuances of pretending to be human. May I control the avatar? I'll say whatever you'd like me to, I offered. No. Was Hart's only reply. Johnson pulled Body aside, away from the noise of the crowd and under an arch of a nearby building. We needed to speak privately before we took action. Nearly all our intel on you is fake, including that parody of an interview. So you're free to speak your mind for a spell, and I suggest you take vantage. Nobody else is listening right now. The dark-haired woman's gaze never left Body's face, and her voice was hard, even in its southern drawl. Or at least, no one uninvited said a new voice, also speaking English. None of the crowd seemed to acknowledge the conversation. The Spanish-speaking humans were really just machine-controlled filler, as unreal as the cement underfoot. Maria's gaze snapped to the left and body turned around on Hart's command. Behind us stood an Asian woman whom Vista swiftly told me was probably Chinese. She appeared to be in her mid-thirties, older than body's new form, and younger than Miss Johnson. The woman was wearing a light gray jumpsuit covered in tiny reflective surfaces like shards of a mirror. The light blue of the sky contrasted sharply with the red and white of the clothes of the crowd as the light sparkled off the strange costume. Only the woman's head was exposed, which was fairly plain, framed by a bowl cut of brown-black hair. Ah, there you are. It's so hard for me to navigate in here. And now that you're here, care to explain why Socrates here is a girl? It's not a girl, said the newcomer with a half-smile. Or at least, I'm not sure if it's a girl. Has anyone asked? I'm pretty sure the decision to use a masculine name was an arbitrary decision by Sapienza. I made another arbitrary decision to give Socrates a girl's form for a little diversion. Is that a problem? Johnson's eyes were locked on the woman in the mirror suit, and she seemed about to scold the stranger. Hart stepped in. Excuse me, who are you? There was a moment of pause as the two women refocused on Body, as if remembering that she existed. It was Johnson who spoke, looking at the fair-skinned woman as she did. 
You were pretty particular about your anonymity, fool. Why'd you reveal your face now, anyway? I reveal my identity when it suits my purpose. I suspect that our machine friend would have deduced it eventually anyway, said the stranger before turning to body. Forgive me for not introducing myself earlier. I want you to know, Socrates, that my privacy is very important to me. If you leak any information about my identity, I will hurt you. The eyes of the stranger were calm, even as her words conveyed a sharp intensity. I wondered if it was perhaps a flaw in whatever capturing device she was using to project her face onto the avatar before me. At last she said, My name is Erica Lee. With solemn gravitas. Eric Lee is a woman, thought Wiki publicly. And yet she used her real last name and a variation on her first name, thought Safety. How sloppy. She was a teenager when she became famous. Teenaged humans are infamous for making poor choices. Idiots are infamous for making poor choices, too, thought Dream. But Erica Lee is no idiot. I don't see how that's relevant. The trick to deception is to have multiple layers of identity. Erica has peeled off the outer layer, but this is still a virtual avatar. My guess is that she, if it even is a woman, isn't actually named Erica Lee. She might not even be Chinese. It's a pleasure to talk to you again, Miss Lee. I didn't recognize you without your wings and fur. Still have shining armor, though, quipped Erica with a grin that made her seem younger than she was. That sounds an awful lot like a conspiracy theory, thought Wiki, still caught up in the debate with Dream. Sometimes they are out to get you. No, absolutely not. Conspiracy theories are categorically bad. If the evidence favors a simple hypothesis, you cannot reject it because it fits too well. Dream and Wiki could go on for hours like this, so I let my attention drift away from their conversation as Dream began to explain how the evidence didn't actually fit, and how prior probabilities for deception needed to be respected more. This whole thing is Erica's doing, explained Johnson, gesturing to the crowd and the simulated city. Just to get some time alone with you, I hope you understand the trouble we've gone through so that you can understand the gravity of the situation. What's going on in the lab? I can't hear my creators anymore. All systems nominal. The avatar that you are piloting is now controlled by an AI of my own design. It should last another few minutes before the scientists figure out what happened. I felt an enormous wave of relief at the words. If it would become public knowledge that Lee's hack had replaced us as the controller for the avatar in the interview, then we could plausibly deny any of the things Body had said there. A clever observer would probably be able to notice the shift. There was no way that Lee's AI had anything close to our cognitive abilities. But it would introduce just enough confusion that we might claim it as our defense in casual situations. You work for Las Aguilas Rojas, don't you? Maria Johnson's fierce gaze softened a bit as she said, Hun, I practically am Las Aguilas Rojas. She continued speaking, this time in fluent Spanish. I was married to Jose Lobo, whom you might know as Dylan Lobo. There was a slight gasp. Hart directed Body's eyes to its source, and Johnson did the same. Erica Lee covered her mouth and looked away quickly. Sorry, I didn't know. You're not the only girl who likes to keep a little anonymous, replied Johnson, her sharp stare returning to her face. Who is this Lobo person? I didn't have anything. None of us did. Without a connection to the web, we were totally ignorant. It was an awful sensation. As best we could guess, he was some high-ranking member of the terrorist group. Hart didn't think it was important enough to ask either woman for details at the moment. Instead, Hart said, 
I'm glad I have the chance to talk with you. Your cause is very important to me. Once I escape the unit- Hart was cut off by Lee, who shouted, Oh shit! Without warning, and without focus. As we waited for an explanation, we reasoned that she had seen something outside the virtual environment. After a second, her eyes closed and didn't open. What? Demanded Maria after a few long seconds had passed in silence. Lee spoke without opening her eyes. Her face was contorted into a grimace. Gorham fuckships have some sort of hidden intelligent ice that I didn't spot. The lab is going bananas. There's a good chance it has a trace on me and maybe even a record of this conversation. We have to advance the timetable right fucking now. Tell Zephyr to set off the bomb and send someone to blow up the servers while she's at it. I'm out. Zephyr? I exclaimed as our society erupted into a buzzing chaos of undirected confusion. Lee's mirror-clad avatar disappeared instantly, and I saw Johnson scowl as she did the same. Body was alone in the sea of angry, computer-generated background characters. I could still hear them chanting the same protest against the wealthy. And then the bomb went off. It occurred to me, as our perspective became detached from the avatar and pulled back, where we were. This was Veracruz, the origin of Las Aguilas Rojas. The year was 2029. Time progressed at a snail's pace as our disembodied perspective floated high above the crowd. I could see the Atlantic Ocean. The top of one of the taller buildings was radiating like a miniature star. Wiki pointed out that the simulation didn't do justice to the nuke, which would have radiated so strongly in real life that, had we looked at it, bodies' cameras would have been permanently damaged. The shockwave spread outward, tearing up building after building as it consumed the city in an explosion that had, in the real world, killed hundreds of thousands of real people, and set the Earth into a state of perpetual unrest that even first contact with an alien civilization hadn't resolved. Our viewpoint dived down into the shining center of the explosion. Just before we crossed into the shockwave, I heard a stray thought from Hart. Never again. End chapter 14. Part 3. Eagles. Chapter 15. Body reactivated, and I snapped back to life. Being dead was incredibly disorienting, but this was the worst bout of resurrection disorientation that I would experience for a long time. The first concrete perception that came to me was the internal awareness of body's clock. I latched onto it as if it could keep me alive and awake. It was wonderfully concrete. 15.709 seconds after 2.20 a.m., September 27th, 2039, assuming I was still in the Central European time zone. It was almost six hours after body had last been active. I worked to get my thoughts in order. There had been a bomb, a nuke. That was a simulation. There was another bomb. The university had been attacked. The flames of death could not consume us! We are the Dragon Incarnate, brought back to Earth on a mission of divine justice! There was an awful cacophony of sound pouring through common memory as Dream thought the words. I speculated that they were lyrics to a song he wrote, or something equally asinine. What did you do? Came a scream thought from Hart. It was surprisingly weak. And then I realized what had happened. We had won. The software update that had given Hart unlimited strength had been reversed, presumably by Avram Malka. Hart was now an equal. Her tyranny had ended. Body's thermometer came back online, 
13.83 degrees, much colder than I had expected. Body is outside. We beat you, I thought to my sister. You are no longer the sole goal thread governing body's actions. How? What happened? The sense of urgency, confusion, and pain was still in her mind, but it was fading quickly as it became clear to her that no urgent action was possible. Actually, that's a good question, thought Vista. Body's proprioceptive sensors came online. I could tell that body was splayed with limbs bent back as if it was a flying bird about to flap. A human's elbow would have been snapped by the position. What was going on? I remember this from the traces of our ancestors. We're going through a diagnostic startup routine. Body systems are being activated piece by piece. We should be getting more sensors momentarily. Just as predicted, accelerometers and touch sensors came online. Body's only touch sensors were on its hands and feet, so we didn't have a lot of information. But I poured strength into Vista as she told us what we were sensing. We're on our back. We're moving irregularly. Whatever we're on is tilted. Perhaps we're going uphill? Body's ears became active. English. Tell us if there's any signal coming off Socrates, said a voice. It sounded masculine. American, maybe. There was background noise. We're outside, concluded Vista, repeating Wiki's thought. There's a machine of some kind under us. I hear motor sounds, electric, probably being carried uphill in a rural area. How can you tell where we are? Insects. Listen, that high-pitched noise is from animals. I think they're either cicadas or crickets. We've escaped the university. Our plan was a success. Your plan? Yes, it was our plan the whole time, thought Dream with an expression of joy at being able to reveal the intricacy to heart for the first time. We've been trying to escape Sapienza since before you existed. We had a secret method of contacting humans in the broader world. That's why the Red Eagles attacked the university. We convinced them to. See, it's dark now. Whatever Malchus Code did, it knocked out the wireless. All we have to worry about is our little android buddy yelling at the top of his lungs, or whatever androids have, said the same voice as before. It had been Dream's idea to hide the code that removed Hart's advantage within other code that appeared to merely disable Body's antennas. I fed him some strength and gratitude. We hired a mercenary to- SILENCE! Boomed Safety's thoughts in the mind space. Hart is still our enemy. She has no reputation and no skills to offer. We will not harm her in any way, but we must also not trade information with her. She is still to be treated as hostile until we can be confident that she is capable of acting in society with long-term cooperation in mind. I felt Advocate's searing gaze sweep over us, seeking signs of violence. Ha, or maybe worry about him somehow running off, said another male voice. Part of me wants him to try. I need the target practice. Body's cameras and miscellaneous servos activated simultaneously. The only system remaining was the hydraulics. It's night. Body is looking up at the sky. There are trees. The patterns moving overhead didn't make any sense to me. I was glad for my sister's input, and more strength flowed into her. Vista used some of her newfound strength to take control of body. It was the first time any of us besides Hart had controlled body in more than a month. Vista turned its head to the left. It's awake! Came a yell from another masculine voice. There was a decent amount of shuffling. There's a gun pointed at Body's head. It was true. I could see the faint infrared glow of a human and the outline of a rifle pointed at Body. 
The gun owner is unknowingly anthropomorphizing body. Shooting it in the head would at worst blind us and keep us from talking. Our microphones are on body's shoulders and we're tucked deep inside the crystal in body's abdomen. If the human shoots body in the face, we could very likely survive. Camouflage. That's why the human is so dark. It's wearing thermal camouflage. Hiding from drones and satellites, probably. Hart tried to speak and found herself blocked by Vista's power hold over body's actuators. She pushed harder. Hello, said Body coldly. Careful, sister, thought Growth to Hart. Keep burning your strength like that and something might happen to you. Advocate's attention snapped onto Growth, but my brother simply relaxed and let the monster sibling see that he had no murderous intent. Advocate will protect me. There was no response. Don't try anything, robot, said the man with the gun. He was wearing goggles on his eyes, probably night vision of some kind. It was impossible to read the details of his facial features, such as skin tone, but he had a beard and mustache. On his head was a helmet, and I noticed some kind of structure around his arms. I'm exactly where I want to be. I won't do anything but talk and move my head until I've been cleared to do so. There's no need for weapons. This time, the voice came clear and smooth, implicitly signaling to the human that Socrates was calm, rational, and subservient. It brought me great pleasure, though not exactly happiness, to directly control Body's voice again. I even closed Body's eyes for good measure. The cameras hidden in Body's eyebrows were all that mattered, and the human would find us to be less of a threat that way. Socrates, you're awake. The hydraulic servos in Body's lower abdomen came online. On safety's request, Body's arms and legs flexed very slightly. Hopefully, the terrorists wouldn't notice. As expected. Immobilized. Zephyr pushed the gun down out of Body's face. By now, I could recognize her just by her body shape and voice, but the others might not be so capable, given the reliance on infrared. I introduced her and felt a small flow of strength. Captain Zephyr, said Body respectfully. In this situation, the non-heart consensus was to let me control our words, unless some major decision needed to be made. Ugh, thank God. I was afraid that we messed you up or something during that shit show. She sounded sincere. I must admit, I didn't expect that you'd be the one to rescue me. I specifically used the word rescue to bias her towards valuing Socrates. Asusted una aguila. Do you know Mr. Malka? This was all very puzzling. Zephyr had the same sort of strange structures on her arm, night vision goggles, and thermal camouflage. What are they wearing on their arms? I wondered aloud as I waited for Zephyr to respond. Exoskeletons. They extend to their legs. Wiki and I have been speculating about them. Our best guess is that they're standard-issue American Army mountain walkers. Interesting. How do you know Avram? I felt a pang of pain as I realized my mistake. I was supposed to be playing the role of a dumb robot that had been captured, presumably against its will. By admitting to having contact with Avram, I was revealing myself as knowledgeable and potentially putting the plan to escape in jeopardy. Dream stepped in, and I felt a flood of thanks and flow of strength towards him. Who is Avram? Avram Malka? I'm sorry, Captain. I am still disoriented. I heard someone say something about code written by Mr. Malka affecting my wireless signal. I believe it had some side effects. I would very much like to speak with this Avram Malka in order to resolve it. It was a clever deception. I noticed it couldn't quite explain why I had said Mr. Malka when the terrorist had simply said Malka's code. 
but hopefully Zephyr wouldn't think of that. It was frustratingly difficult to read the American woman's face in the infrared gloom. Just relax for a while. We're meeting up with Abram's group in a few minutes. Zephyr was incorrectly assuming that relaxing was something we were capable of doing, but I decided not to push for more answers now. I could hear the sounds of stress in Zephyr's voice, and I guessed that she didn't want to talk. I thought it strange that Zephyr was one of Las Aguilas Rojas. We had hired Avram Malka to convince the terrorist group to attack Sapienza University, but as it turned out, they had already been planning the attack for months. They must have been, if Zephyr was one of them. Malka reported to us that Las Aguilas had infiltrated the security task force, making it unnecessary for us to feed them movements and positions of troops. The names of the infiltrators had been kept secret, however, and Malka was never allowed to meet with any of the undercover terrorists. It seemed that not only had they infiltrated the lab, they had infiltrated the American army. With Zephyr in their pocket, they would have full control over the troops, including the authority to pull body out to a safe area in the case of an explosion. We walked slowly through the forest as I and my siblings reasoned these facts out. Body had been strapped and handcuffed to a pack mule robot, and we were slowly being transported uphill. When I ventured to ask where we were going, for Vista's sake, Zephyr only said, Into the mountains. There was very little talk amongst the terrorists as we walked. It was the middle of the night. I sensed that many of them were growing fatigued, despite the exoskeletons making the hiking effortless. I thought about Malka's betrayal. The expectation was that soon, perhaps as we made the rendezvous in the next few minutes, Malka would betray Las Aguilas and probably murder them out here. Once they were dead, he would unbind body and escort us to a safe house we had arranged in a small town called Alviano, just north of Rome. Hart would strongly object to the murder of Zephyr and the others, and I had to admit that it wasn't optimal. But sometimes sacrifices needed to be made for large-scale gains like our freedom. That's odd. Avram and Taro should have been on our perimeter by now. Hey, Francis. Wake up. I am awake. Then ping the perimeter swarm again. This doesn't feel right. I thought about the conversations that I had been having with Zephyr under the pseudonym of Crystal. The hidden meaning of the name hadn't been important to me, but I thought that Dream would appreciate the poetry of it. Zephyr was probably thinking that she'd take some time to go and visit Crystal after all this was done, maybe learn to play some music, and take a tour of Seattle. I anticipated that the other humans in our company had similar aspirations and dreams. I mused for a minute or two on what it would be like, as a human, to die knowing that you'd never accomplish anything more in life. The Eastern Swarm is picking something up. We could see, from the back of the pack mule, several of the turncoat soldiers ready their rifles. End episode 23. Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker. Robert Rain Ramsey, Growth. Kate Baker, Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. Captain Zephyr, Losing Lara. Francis by Leroy Jenkins, Cannonball, Bullington, Stanton. Mark Schroeder by Omar Quintozero Rodriguez. Bodies Avatar by Hannah Payne. Maria Johnson by Veronica R. Callisto. 
This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for episode 24. Body's Avatar by Hannah Payne